0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions.
1: Welcome to In Legal Terms from NPP Think Radio. I'm Greg Mayer, sitting in for your regular host, Liz Gill, and I'm here today, as always, with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we are talking about bankruptcy, and we have two terrific guests, Frank and Rachel Coxwell from Coxwell Attorneys here in Jackson. Good morning, Professor.
2: Good morning, Greg, and uh, while we miss Liz, it's always good to have you on the show. Really happy. uh, that you're with us this morning, and thank you for taking the time to do the show. Excited to have, uh, first of all, excited about the elections. Uh, you know, I hope everyone takes the time to exercise their right to vote today. Uh, you know, we had uh, Secretary of State Hosman on uh, just a few weeks ago to talk about the importance of voting, uh, and so your voice won't be heard unless you actually uh, exercise your right. But you know, I've said oftentimes on the show that. Uh, people would not need lawyers if they kept their promises, and I think that's true. But when we, when, when we uh, have guests like uh, Frank and Rachel Coxwell on, they're people who uh, help uh, uh, when, when someone can't keep their promises. So it's maybe not because of something they did, but because they've had an extended illness and they have medical expenses, or they have other issues that keep them from paying their debt. And, and Frank and Rachel help them in those situations. So we're really happy to welcome them, uh, you know, and to talk about bankruptcy today.
1: Uh, that's right, and um, we appreciate them being here this morning. And if, if you have any questions about bankruptcy, please give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Frank, good morning.
3: Thank you. Pleasure to be here.
1: I think a good place for us to start this morning is just to talk about bankruptcy generally. And if you could just sort of tell us, why do we have bankruptcy and what's it all about?
3: Well, bankruptcy is derived from the Old Testament. Uh, In Deuteronomy, uh, the Lord told the Hebrews, every seven years, forgive your debts. Our founding fathers, it's in the Constitution, so our founding fathers wanted to have a way for people to absolve themselves of debt, to get a clean slate. Because the most important thing is keeping the family together, and debt drives families apart, ruins marriages, so we have bankruptcy in order to keep the family together.
1: And who makes the decision at the end of the day of whether you can actually file for bankruptcy or not? Can anybody just do it?
3: Well, everybody has a right to do it. Now, there's a test that went into effect in 2005 called the means test that we have to put clients through to see if they qualify for the Chapter 7. They're always entitled to do a Chapter 13, but not everybody's entitled to do the Chapter 7.
1: And let's, if you could, tell us what's the difference uh, at the outset of between a Chapter 7 and a Chapter 13?
3: Well, the Chapter 7 is a complete liquidation. The court wipes out all the debt that the debtor wants to get rid of. You can keep whatever you want to keep. Chapter 13, the stuff that you want to keep, we stretch out over a longer period of time to give you lower payments so that you're – able to keep the things that you need to hold on to house car furniture things like that
1: okay let's bring rachel into this rachel if you want to go file bankruptcy do you have to have an attorney to do it
4: I mean, not necessarily you don't have to have an attorney. Everybody can do it on their own. You just go to the court clerk's office and get the right forms, and you can get it off the website even for the Southern District. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would always recommend one. Bankruptcy is not not an easy boat to get onto if you want to do it by yourself. So I always recommend a lawyer.
1: And we the courts. Which courts are we talking about? Are, are there specific courts for bankruptcy
4: in Mississippi? So bankruptcy is under federal law, so it'd be under the federal rules and regulations and things like that. But bankruptcy has a separate court. Um, there's two in Mississippi. There's the Southern District Bankruptcy Court as well as as well as the Northern District Bankruptcy Court.
1: Okay, and here in Jackson, we would be in the Southern District. Right. Correct. Okay. And, and I'll throw this to both of you. When, when you first meet with a client or a potential client they come see you, what are some things that they should have with them if they want to talk about whether bankruptcy is right for them or not?
4: Well, they should always have a clear idea of what all their debts are. We want to know about mainly the secured debts, which is something put up for collateral like a car, a house, a loan where they wrote down some random household stuff. But you also want to have a concise list of the unsecured debts, like medical bills, credit cards, all that stuff.
1: Uh, What's the difference between a secured debt and an unsecured debt?
4: Okay, so a secured debt always has something put up for collateral. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, it's going to be something like a car. If you stop paying for it, somebody's going to want to come get that item back, like a car or foreclosure for a house, things like that. Mm -hmm. Unsecured debts are signature loans at a bank where they don't have anything they can come pick up, credit cards, medical bills, utilities, things like that.
1: We are talking bankruptcy and talking bankruptcy in general and in specific. So if you have a question, please give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 And, Rachel, you were talking about when, when a client comes to meet you, the, the different items they should have uh, with them, both the listing of their debts and their un- unsecured debt. What else? Is there anything else that they should bring as, like, pr- proof of those debts, or is just sort of a, a notation of them going to be enough for that? first first conversation
4: well a notation of them is always good enough for that first meeting to get a clear idea of what's happening in the whole story that the person's going through but it's always helpful to have an actual bill or something from that company so we know the exact address of who to notify when you're ready to file the bankruptcy and
1: and, and what uh, frank is it that you look at when a client comes with you with that list to determine yeah this will be a good fit for a bankruptcy filing or maybe something or other alternatives to that
3: Well, we want to look at and talk to the client about what they want to keep. You know, what's important to them to hold on to. In in either 7 or 13, most of the unsecured debts are going to be discharged and wiped out. So it's the secured debts that we're going to deal with. If someone wants to just get rid of everything, get a clean slate, Chapter 7 would probably suit them the best. But if they need a lower payment on their house or their car and need to catch up some house notes, then the Chapter 13 is going to work best for them.
1: Okay. And this may be a good, we can go ahead and just start, maybe talk about Chapter 7 bankruptcies and talk about what specifically does that do for an individual and is that also something available for a business?
3: A business can't get a discharge in a Chapter 7. So when a a business files a Chapter 7, you're just waving a big, giant uh, white flag saying, we don't have any money, we can't pay our bills. Mm -hmm. But the individual can get the discharge, which is an injunction against the collection of all the debts. So in Chapter 7, all the debts that the person wants to get rid of, the court lets you pick and choose what you want to keep and what you want to get rid of. All the debts that you want to get rid of are gone, except for... Taxes in some instances student loans and domestic support obligations.
1: Okay, and That compares to a chapter 13 in what ways?
3: well we still can wipe out a lot of the unsecured debts in chapter 13 but then we take all the the things that the people want to hold on to or that they can't pay like taxes domestic support obligations car notes back notes on the house spread them out over a three four or five year period to give them a lower payment so they can keep those things and maintain the payments
1: and in your role as the lawyer when you're meeting with the clients and they come in do you take a look at the documents that they have and advise them what's better for them or do you let the client say I really want to just get a clean seat?
3: they're always asking me you know, so, <laughs> so we tell them I explain the different types of bankruptcy to them and and Rachel and I tell them what we think would work best for them but ultimately it's their decision
5: okay um,
1: well, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, Chapter 13 and, and uh, reor- is that reorganization?
3: That's what it's called, correct. Okay,
1: and there's somebody put in place that's called a trustee, is that correct? Yes. Okay, tell, tell us a little bit about what a trustee is.
3: The trustee would handle the money. When you do a Chapter 13, instead of paying your creditors direct, you're going to send money into the court every month. The trustee's going to take that money, and he's going to divide it among the creditors that you've decided to pay. So the trustee collects the money every month. He pays each creditor their share of that money for that month.
1: Okay. And the trustees, that's not the judge, right? The trustee Correct. is somebody separate from the judge. Uh, does the judge, uh, Rachel, is the judge the ultimate person who decides whether you can declare bankruptcy or not and actually order it?
4: Um, and so, yeah, basically they are the, um, sort of the last man standing on deciding if you can file bankruptcy or not.
1: Okay, and, and what is the judge looking at, and I'll throw that to either one of you, when, in making that determination?
3: Well, he's looking at whether you meet the criteria. Um, the code has certain uh, definitions of who can be a debtor, and then, of course, there's the means test, a test we have to put you through to see if you qualify to file the Chapter 7. If you don't, you default to the Chapter 13, and your creditors are going to receive some form of percentage. The unsecured creditors will receive a percentage of their debt. Chapter 7, nobody gets anything except the people you're going to continue to pay.
1: Nobody, your creditors. Nobody Nobody knows your creditors. creditors. Everybody who's trying to get money from you and you don't have it. (laughs) And I take it it's harder to file Chapter 7 than in Chapter 13.
3: Well, if you pass the means test, you, you, you sail right through.
1: What is the means test?
3: It's a test. They have certain income levels set up. Um, for household size of one it 's about forty one thousand household size of four it 's sixty five thousand if you 're under those numbers, you automatically pass the test if you 're above those numbers in household income, then we have to put you through the test and it 's an eight or nine page test and that 's the lawyer 's job is to get you past that test okay. We routinely do bankruptcies with people making over $100,000 um, a year because it's just affecting the economy and all. It's affecting everyone, and, and we still get them past the means test. Okay.
1: Well, we're going to take our first break of the morning, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about bankruptcy, and we're also going to talk about the number one reason people file for bankruptcy. If you have any questions, please do give us a call at one mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Bank Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Uh, We know not everyone has the chance to listen to this show live. If you've missed any part of this program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash In Legal Terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, just like all of our local shows. Today, we're talking about bankruptcy, and we've got two great guests in the studio with us, Frank Coxwell and Rachel Coxwell from Coxwell Attorneys here in Jackson. We also have, of course, our legal expert, Richard Gershon, at the University of Mississippi's School of Law. And before the break, I talked, I asked, the uh, or referenced, we were going to talk about the number one reason people file for bankruptcy. But before I get to that, we do have our first caller on the line. So let's go ahead and get right to the phones. And Evelyn from Greenville. Good morning, Evelyn.
6: Good morning. Uh, I just have a question about I co signed on a student loan for my granddaughter and it was dispersed in 2011. I just need to know can a bank, a student loan be Written, I'm not sure if my daughter filed a Chapter Seventeen or or a Chapter Seven or a Chapter Thirteen. But can for your child, if it wasn't for yourself, that be forgiven on a student on a, on a federal loan? Bankruptcy.
3: Normally, bank uh, student loans cannot be discharged in bankruptcy. Now, you can file, if you file the bankruptcy, you have to file a separate lawsuit within the bankruptcy called an adversary proceeding and ask the court to discharge. Each judge has his own criteria about who they think should be able to discharge student loans and there's a test set up uh, on a court case it's called the Brunner test and it sets out criteria that you have to meet in order to discharge it's extremely difficult unless you're probably above the age of 55 and your income potential income is reduced quite a bit then you might be eligible to have it discharged but it's very difficult
1: Okay. Frank, uh, Frank right, thank you. Uh, thank you, Evelyn. Uh, uh, not to put a memory test to you, but it, it just generally, some of the factors a court would look at to see if he could discharge a student loan debt like that.
3: Have you been making payments on the loan? Um, if you had to pay the loan back, would your uh, standard of living drop below the poverty level? Um, it's. And, and where you, what your age you are, you know, if you're a younger individual, you're 25, 30 years old, you have a long earning capacity ahead of you, and you could pay something on the loan. So the courts are reluctant to discharge a loan for a younger individual. And someone 60 uh, or above, you probably don't have as many years left earning capacity, and, and you might be more eligible for a discharge or even a partial discharge.
1: Well, we appreciate Evelyn's call on that topic this morning. And uh, before the break, I, I talked about the number one reason uh, that people file for bankruptcy. You know, professor, this may come as no surprise to you; it is medical debt.
2: Not at all. And in fact, I, you know, it, when when uh, Frank and Rachel deal with uh, their clients, you know, it's one thing when somebody incurs debt. Voluntarily, where they go out and overspend on a credit card, and, and they're, they're aware that they're doing that, and, and they have some control over that. But when we talk about medical debt, you know that you know someone has an illness that they didn't expect. You go into that illness, you have typically no idea how much insurance is going to cover or how much it's even going to cost, and so that can be overwhelming for families, uh, especially if it's. A long-term illness, and so that's why it's very important that the bankruptcy bankruptcy laws protect people in that situation.
1: Uh, Rachel and Frank, when a, when a client comes to you, and I'm just talking generally, not any specific clients, of course, but a client comes to you and in medical debts their their number one issue. How do you how do you address that with them? How, what what sort of steps do you take with them to look at going about filing for bankruptcy?
3: Well, you know, a medical debt is just another unsecured debt. There's no difference in it in a credit card or an unsecured loan. So... Uh, we just want to get the names of all the medical providers to make sure we get everybody listed. And then the collection agencies, because there's always two or three collection agencies attached to every medical debt. And we just want to make sure everybody's listed in the bankruptcy so that they're covered with the bankruptcy.
1: Yeah, if you could, talk a minute about the importance of making sure clients are, are candid with you about all their, their creditors and making sure everybody's listed. Why is that so important on for you?
3: Well, the papers that the client signs, the bankruptcy petition and schedules, are signed under oath. So they're sworn to, and the price of a bankruptcy discharge is full disclosure. Full disclosure about all your debts, full disclosure about all your assets. So the court wants to know everything you own. A certain amount of your property is exempt or protected from the bankruptcy court and protected from your creditors. But if you have things that are not protected, you might lose those things in the bankruptcy. And, of course, that's what we do is help the client figure out what those things are, either get rid of them before we file the bankruptcy or just turn them over to the court and let the court deal with land or vacation houses, uh, some boats, things like that.
1: And if a debt's not listed and the bankruptcy becomes final, would that debt be discharged or not?
3: It would be as long as you didn't leave it off on purpose. If it's something you just forgot about, the bankruptcy would cover the debt and it would be discharged. But if you left it off for, and there's a lot of reasons people want to leave stuff off, none of them good, but uh, they feel like they need to leave this off or whatever. And it could could be non-dischargeable.
1: What are some of the other reasons, big reasons, that you see folks come to your office that need to file for bankruptcy? Medical debt's number one. What would y'all rank as number two?
4: Um, I would usually rank, well, the main thing is it's not just medical debt. It's things that all happen at one time. Anytime one thing happens, it seems like life piles all these other things at the same time. Because usually people can deal with one issue and still pay all their debts and everything. But usually it all just piles on at the same time and that's when people get stressed and start freaking out and needing help and everything like that but i think another one might be divorce Mm -hmm. because you have you have this family with two incomes paying for things and then you split that up and you're one person trying to pay for all these things you wanted to keep
1: well we do have another call it's margaret from columbus Oh, uh, oh excuse me ronnie is first in line ronnie from ocean springs ronnie good morning Good morning, how are we all? I appreciate your patience and uh, waiting for us to get to you. What's your question this morning? Well,
5: um, it actually goes on to, I I apologize, ma'am, what what is your name?
4: My name is Rachel.
5: Rachel, you said it in every word that I could say, when it piles on at one time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, my wife and I, we got married in August right immediately after that, our bank account was robbed for $3,800. We own our vehicle, um, but we do uh, have a mortgage on our home. And my wife is a teacher. I'm a chef. Um, I do a catering business, so it's not always consistent. But my wife, um, it, it... When our bank account was robbed, we um, filed police report and everything. The bank, because the person that stole the money, had our uh, PIN number. So the bank account isn't going to uh, repay it back. We are three months behind on our home, and we are scared of losing our home. And uh, so is that a viable option for us to possibly file bankruptcy just to keep our house that we've had for eight years?
4: Of course. People do that all the time. Whenever you happen to get behind on something, whether it be a house or a car and foreclosure, repo or down the road, um, we always recommend usually a Chapter 13 would help with that. It takes your normal notes each month, and then it spreads out those three months to four months that you're behind. It spreads those out, the 60 months, the five-year plan that a Chapter 13 is, so you end up paying your normal note plus a little bit extra, so it's not too strenuous of trying to come up with three months at one time.
5: Okay. Um, Now, uh, because we are in the hole, in a sense, um, what is the normal cost to um, try to file a Chapter 13?
3: The... Uh, if it's chapter 13, the court in Mississippi has set the attorney's fee, and that's $3,400 each. But most of that can be paid through the bankruptcy plan. So each lawyer okay. has a, a, their own amount that they want you to pay up front, and then the rest of that would be put in the plan with your house note or your car note. The court charges $310 as the filing fee. So. Uh, but each lawyer has their own fee that they, they want you to pay up front, which would be a portion of that 3400 and then the balance would be put in the bankruptcy.
5: Okay. Well, I appreciate that. That's excellent information. Uh, you know, um, we're, we, we are a little older, and uh, so um, we, we've never been in this position. It's kind of scary. And uh, But to have a home that we've had for eight years and then have to kind of worry about it, um, it's, it's a scary situation.
3: The bankruptcy court does six bankruptcies every half hour, every day. Wow.
5: Oh, wow. So
3: you're not alone. It's a lot of people. <laughs>
1: Ronnie, thank you so much for your call. That was a a great question. We're going to get to our next caller, uh, which is Margaret from Columbus. Margaret, good morning. Good morning. And what's your question this morning?
6: My question is, what is the status of bankruptcy when you own your home without any payments actually paid for?
4: Um, So there are some exemptions in Mississippi. It always depends on how much equity you have in your home. Um, The state of Mississippi protects up to $75,000 of equity in your home. So if your home is paid for and about $75,000 or less, then your home would be fully protected if you filed bankruptcy. Okay.
1: Did that answer your question, Margaret?
6: Yes, it does. It really well,
1: does. Thank you so much for your call. Um, we're going to go ahead and take our next break uh, for the half hour. But when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Frank and Rachel Coxwell and Professor Gershon about bankruptcy. We'd love for you to join our conversation. The number is one mpb ring That's one 672 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Gershon is joining us from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our two guests in studio this morning are Frank Coxwell and Rachel Coxwell of Coxwell Attorneys here in Jackson. This morning we're talking about bankruptcy. And according to the American Bankruptcy Institute, Mississippi ranks – has Mississippi has 4.28 filings per every 1,000 people, making us the fourth – uh, greatest state in the U.S. in filing of bankruptcy. Professor, why do you think that is that Mississippi ranks so high?
2: That's a great question, Greg. And I think part of it might start with uh, we don't do enough financial literacy training in our state. I think it would be great to have in, in all the public schools a much greater emphasis on financial literacies. So people can avoid getting into these problems. But we also have a state with great uh, uh, income disparity in terms of, you know, the difference between the wealthy uh, citizens and those who, who don't have as much wealth. A lot of poverty. And I think, you know, uh, people get overwhelmed sometimes by debt, as we talked about. And, mm-hmm. and bankruptcy is, is the solution in that case.
1: Rachel, Frank, does that surprise you, or did you that Mississippi ranks so high on the list of states uh, in violence for bankruptcy?
3: No, we see those statistics periodically. <laughs> Keeps you in business. It's something we keep up with, <laughs> right?
1: Well, let's go back to our phones. We have uh, Vicky from Waynesboro. Vicky, good morning. Vicky, can you? Are you there? I think Vicky has moved on. <laughs> but before the break, we had a uh, Ronnie on the phone. And Ronnie, he, he raised an interesting issue, Frank. I was going to uh, pitch to you here. He, he said it was a criminal theft uh, from his bank account that put them in the dire straits that ultimately put them in a the position of considering bankruptcy. Is that something that you've seen uh, where a, a criminal act might force somebody financially uh, into some trouble? And how do you deal with that?
3: Well... I, we, we see a lot of people that suffer from identity theft. And this criminal act, if someone had his PIN number, I mean, a lot of times it's a family member. I don't know his particular case, but a lot of times it is a family member. And, you know, to get the money back, you've got to press criminal charges. And despite how much you hate the person and what they did to you, a lot of times you don't want to put your family in jail. But if it was a third party like that, Um, that stole his PIN number and took his money, then you know, that's identity theft because they've got a lot of his other information also, and it's extremely hard to come back from that. It takes years to recover from identity theft, but the bankruptcy helps because it stops them from charging anything else under your name, you know, because the bankruptcy is going to drop your credit For a temporary period. Now, our clients, you know, we have an instruction package we give our clients, and they can have their credit back in the six or seven hundreds within a year. Wow. Which is what me, most people think, oh, I can't get anything for seven years or ten years. I, I don't know where they get the numbers from, but, you know, that's not the case anymore. Um, if people weren't giving credit to people that filed bankruptcy, the car dealers would be out of business. Banks, loan companies would be out of business because so many people are filing.
1: It, is part of your practice uh, not only getting the bankruptcy filed and through, but then helping individuals after the fact restore their credit? Yes. And, ha- and just generally, what are some of the things that you do? to to help help individuals get back on their feet
3: well that's just the biggest question we get is about my credit you know and if you're coming to see us your credits probably already tanked at that point but uh, we have an instruction package we give the clients you know specific instructions things that they need to do things that we do in the bankruptcy proceeding to help get their credit straightened out and correct things on their credit bureau reports
1: well, let's go back to the phones. We have Shannon, who's in Tennessee. Shannon, good morning.
6: Good morning. How you doing?
1: I'm fine this morning. What's your question?
6: Well, I did a bankruptcy. Uh, I forgot how long it's been. But I did a bankruptcy, and because of my job, I could no longer uh, afford to pay the bankruptcy. And I'm still, you know, in a financial bind. What did I do um, about the procedure? Um, I had to stop paying the bankruptcy. So could you explain to me about that procedure?
3: If, if your bankruptcy, uh, assumes as a Chapter 13 since you were making payments, but if your case was dismissed, then all your debts go back to the way they were before you filed the bankruptcy. You still owe all those people, and they can yeah. sue you and garnish you or come after you for the money.
6: Okay, then, yeah, um, if something happened and uh, I could no longer pay them anymore. And, and I was just wondering, it's just mostly like to the
4: bills or maybe like $2 from credit card bills. Right, like, so you know, if your you income is. like no car house. Mm-hmm. Yes, like ma'am. If your income has changed and you were in a 13 but can no longer do it, you still have the option to do a Chapter 7. Um, sometimes there are. Timelines that need to run out when you do two different bankruptcies, but if your chapter 13 was dismissed, that doesn't apply and you could do a chapter 7 instead.
6: Okay, because I think this is back in, I don't know, maybe
4: 2015, I like Right, yeah, so a chapter 7 would still be an option for you just to go ahead and get a clean slate for yourself. And let me ask how long would that be on my credit? So a chapter, we get that question a lot. A Chapter 7 stays on your credit report for the 10 years, but it does not affect anything. All it does is say that those past debts were discharged through Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Your, st- your score can still go up and down. It just, just depends on how well you take care of it. What about Chapter 13? How long does it stay on your credit? It would stay on there the same amount of time. Okay, then. Okay, thank you, ma'am. You're
1: welcome. Shannon, okay. Shannon thank you so much uh, for that call, and um, her question prompts another question uh, to Rachel or Frank, and that is once the client on Chapter 13 is filed, and if they find themselves having difficulty making their payments, should they reach back out to you? Are there things you can do as part of their proceeding to help them uh, uh, sort of get over the hump if, if they're having trouble making payments?
3: Yeah, uh, Chapter 13 is strictly voluntary. You can get out of it at any point. There's things we can do. We can file a modification if you get behind in the payments and take those payments and spread them out over the remaining months. Or we can get rid of some things, uh, let a car go. Uh, If they they don't, you know, if the car's not running, we don't want to keep paying for it. I mean, if it's not serving its purpose, but we can modify the plan as it's set up and reduce the payments in some cases or any payments they get behind, spread them out.
1: And I'm uh, guessing that being proactive and approaching the lawyers and the judge saying you can't make your payments is better than just not making payments and hoping for the best. Absolutely. It's yeah,
4: usually the best route. <laughs>
3: okay. I mean, some, you know, if a, if a chapter 13 going fine, there may be a years, two years that we don't he- talk to our clients because everything's going fine. And they forget about us. And they, I have clients that file stuff in court on their own or write letters to the judge. And I say, well, why am I here? You know, you should call me. That's what I'm here for. I'm your lawyer. Let me take care of that for you. Um, But most people do. They'll reach back out to us and say, look, I'm getting behind on my payments. What can we do? And we discuss all their options with them.
1: How long uh, typically is a, a, a payment plan uh, for a, uh, a somebody who's filed bankruptcy under thirteen? What's the average span of time for your clients?
4: The or, average is usually the full sixty month plan, so it's five years. Okay. Depending on their income, they can go as less as three years or four years, but the most is usually average five. Okay,
1: and it's five years the maximum you can mm-hmm. you can spread yes. out your payments. And if you're unable to do a five year plan, does that mean you're probably a candidate for a Chapter seven?
4: usually yes
1: okay uh, we've been talking a lot about individuals uh and filings for individuals can we talk a little bit about businesses we have a lot of small business owners in mississippi and i imagine some of your clients are small business owners uh who have to do things to reorganize or to liquidate can you tell us a little bit about as a business owner uh, what should you do if, if you think you need to file, for, if you find yourself in it over your
3: head? Well, most clients that come to see me that have a business want to do two bankruptcies. They want to do one on the business and one on themselves. <clears throat> but in most cases, they haven't done the money with the business correctly. Most people operate the business like it's their back pocket and they spend business money for personal things. So. I don't normally don't want to file a bankruptcy for the business. We just file for the individual, get them out from under all the business debts that they've agreed to pay or they've co-signed or guaranteed and get them out from those debts and just let the business die. Just let it wither on the vine. They can. They need a new business. They can start a new corporation or LLC, and just but just let the old one go.
1: This morning we are talking bankruptcy with uh, Frank and Rachel Coxwell of Coxwell Attorneys here in Jackson. We'd love for you to to join us. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And with that, let's go back to the phones. We've got Jack from Hattiesburg. Jack, good morning.
6: Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me here.
1: Absolutely. Hi. What's your question?
6: Yes. Um, I just wanted to make some comments. Uh, I worked in finance, uh, particularly credit and collections, for the first 15 years. Um, I did a lot of legal collections. What I'd like to tell your audience is, without hesitation, and I've worked and I've uh, garnished, foreclosed, sequestered bank accounts. Very good at it. But I would encourage any debtor, any person who owes money, and if they're struggling with their bills, to go see an attorney to see about the possibility of getting themselves relieved from all of these debts and start their life anew. I've been in the business, I, I was in the business, I'm not retired, I was in that business of finance, collections, banking. People do have problems regardless of what the reason charge your debt if possible. Go see an attorney who specializes, and they'll guide you down the right path. That's my comment.
1: Jack, thank you, Frank. Rachel, any thoughts on Jack's?
3: Yeah, it's so good to hear that coming from, from that side of the yeah.
5: business.
3: Uh, you rarely hear that from creditor and collection agencies and, and people like that, you know. Um, but that's good. And, and it's true. I mean, that the bankruptcy was set up to, to save the family and give people a second chance. And, you know, we all need a second chance.
1: And that's what bankruptcy is all about: is Absolutely. getting a second, getting a second chance.
3: Sometimes a third and fourth chance.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, let's talk. Uh, there's some, a lot of different ways we can go with bankruptcy. There's so many different things you have to deal with. I know, off air, we talked a little bit about divorce, and I know a lot of folks have questions about bankruptcy and divorce, and. If you're in the middle of a divorce, can you even file for bankruptcy? Can you just talk a little bit about what that process entails?
3: Sure. The bankruptcy will give you the relief and protection you need whether you file it before the divorce or after the divorce. There's advantages to filing before the divorce because the couple, if they're still married, they can do a case together. It's half the fee. It's not a double fee for both parties, you know, and it's only one filing fee. And they get rid of all these debts and don't have to deal with this stuff in the divorce. Um, After the divorce, a divorce generally breeds two bankruptcies because a couple was barely making it on two incomes. Now they're split up. They got the same amount of debts with half (coughs) the income as before. Um, And if you want to get started over again, you need to get rid of all this unsecured stuff and all these debts and and get back where you can take care of your children, take care of your family, and and maintain a, a a standard of living.
1: Does does the bankruptcy, if you filed for bankruptcy during divorce, does the bankruptcy judge then have some say in how the assets, the marital assets get divided?
3: He does, um, but they don't want to do that. They'll leave that. They'll release the case, uh, lift the stay so that you can proceed with the divorce action and the property settlement. The the bankruptcy judge doesn't want to get into all that. In most cases, they'll let the chancery court judge Mm -hmm. deal with it.
1: Yeah, and you just used a, a legal term of art. I think it might it may be helpful to explain a stay or it's called an automatic stay. What exactly is the automatic stay when we're talking about bankruptcy?
4: So the automatic stay are it's, it's the protections that bankruptcy offers you. As soon as you file your case, the automatic stay goes into effect. And that's what protects you from having creditors call you, harass you, try and collect any money, stops garnishments, all that stuff.
1: Uh, and lawsuits. And uh, lawsuits, uh, uh, of course, yes. lawsuits,
4: three post foreclosures, <laughs> everything.
1: Uh, as a litigation attorney, you infrequently you would get a notice of an automatic stay from the person on the other side of the lawsuit. Yeah. And, and that means they can't take any action. And if somebody does try to take, a creditor, for instance, tries to take some action against you, what happens to that creditor if a stay is in place?
3: Well, they're in violation of the stay, which is in violation of the bankruptcy rules and regulations. In most cases, I get to sue them. They have to pay my fees, and I get some money from my client.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, A married couple. Can one half of a married couple file for bankruptcy?
4: Yes, you can, as a married couple, you can file together or separately.
1: Okay. How does it work if it's separate? Just generally speaking, if just your spouse wants to file, but you're married together and everything else is kind of done together. How does that work?
4: so you filed as you it's still basically like an individual except your spouse's income would count towards the means test as well because it looks towards the household income um so even if you had a 20 year old child that lived there but they worked and things you would have to include their income as well or some contribution that they made to the household Mm -hmm. um
1: What are some generally some, have y'all ever, just generally, not specific clients, is that something you've seen before where one spouse wants to file and the other? What are some general reasons for that? that?
3: Well, sometimes the other spouse isn't sure. You know, they they hear all these misconceptions and uh, misinformation about bankruptcy, so they want to let the other one go through it first and make sure they don't lose everything. (laughs) But, but, um, you know, if one individual of a married couple files, they're only going to get rid of their debts. And and we tend to think of, well, these are my debts and those are my wife's debts. But really, they're family debts. It's all family money going to pay this stuff. So in most cases, the couple's better off doing it together. And that way we get the family cleared up from all these other debts and they keep whatever they want to keep and move forward. But. Uh, we have a lot of couples that just that only one party wants to file, or maybe the, the one's credit is really good and the other one's not or they're coming into a marriage and they don't want to drag all this baggage into the to the new marriage yeah.
4: we are, sorry we also have situations where um the, like, one spouse will file one type of bankruptcy and the other will file the other type. So if they're behind on a house, only one has to file to save the house because they're both on it. And then, so that would be a 13. The other spouse could file a Chapter 7, depending on who has the, you know, highest income, best support to get that credit score right back up, could do a Chapter 7. So if the family needs anything, they have that option available. That
1: is great information. And we're going to go ahead and take our last uh, break for the day. And when we come back, we are going to continue our discussion about bankruptcy. And we hope you will join us. Our number is 1-877-MPV-RING. That's one 672 7464 This is In Legal Terms on MPV. Think Radio.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Welcome back and thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms today. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash In Legal Terms. It's Also available on the MPB Media app, just like all of our local shows. I'm Greg Mayer, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our guests in studio this morning are Frank Coxwell and Rachel Coxwell from Coxwell Attorneys here in Jackson. Today we're talking about bankruptcy. And, Professor, I know one of the areas that that you teach and specialize in is taxes. And I'd like to throw to you if you could talk a little bit about the tax consequences when somebody files for bankruptcy.
2: Greg, it's a great and important question, so thank you for asking that. Uh, You know, a few years ago, and when 2008 happened and a lot of people lost their homes, the bank would forgive that debt, that mortgage debt, without a process of bankruptcy. And so people would walk away from their homes. Well, what they didn't realize is the discharge of indebtedness outside of bankruptcy is actually a taxable event. So people were surprised that when, let's say, $50,000 in their mortgage was forgiven by the bank, they had to pay tax on that 50000 But if they go through bankruptcy, the Internal Revenue Code provides uh, that discharge in bankruptcy is not taxable. So that's another benefit to going to someone like uh, Frank or Rachel to help when there's a debt situation that, that you just can't handle.
1: That's an important aspect of bankruptcy. We circle back to that, but we're going to get back to the phones because we have Renee from Jackson on the line. Renee, good morning. Oh, Renee has let go as well. Uh, Frank, let's talk a little bit about that—the uh, tax consequences of dischargeability. Uh, can you discharge all taxes you owe?
3: Well, you can discharge income taxes, state and federal income taxes. They have to meet certain criteria. They need to be over three years old. You need to file the returns more than two years before you filed the bankruptcy. And then you, there has not been an assessment in 240 days before the bankruptcy. But people think taxes are not dischargeable, but they are. Now, trust fund taxes, sales taxes and employment taxes, things like that, that you collect from your employee or from a customer are never dischargeable. Okay. And why is that? Well, because it's not what never was your money (laughs) sales tax, the seven percent a store collects. They got that from the customer. So it never was their money. But a lot of people, companies tend to use that money. So it's never dischargeable because you are holding it in trust for the taxing agency.
1: Uh, Professor, you care to weigh in?
2: Well, yeah, I think it's really important to again understand when taxes are not dischargeable and when they are. And uh, I know people who have gotten in trouble because they actually uh, waited; they actually filed too soon to try to discharge their taxes. Only older taxes are typically uh, dischargeable, so it's really important to work with a lawyer who understands uh, those issues. So, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm glad we're talking tax.
1: Um. And and taxes are are, are a complicated aspect of of, of bankruptcy filings, too. I imagine that a lot of your clients, if they come in with tax questions, you have to get really down into the details of what it is they, they need to know.
3: We do, and we don't take their word for anything they say about when they filed or whatever. We want to look at a tax transcript and see when the IRS received it, because that's where all the timelines run from. Okay.
1: I believe we have a caller on the line. Kyle. Kyle, good morning.
7: How y'all doing
1: today? We are doing fine. We appreciate you calling in. What's your question this morning?
7: Yeah, I I had back surgery a while back, a few years back, and I accumulated a lot of credit card debt trying to keep up my bill while being on workers' comp. And my bill just slowly caught up with me because I just bought a new vehicle and stuff. So I have a ton of debt, and I'm trying to figure out what's the best option to do. I have have two vehicles. I have a lot of about thirty thousand dollars and. Unsecured credit card debt, and then but I have like my house is worth probably 120, and <clears throat> I only owe like 69 on it. I'm trying to figure out what's the best bet because I can't get like a personal loan or refinance because of my credit. I missed a few car payments, so my credit's not so good anymore. But I, I do have a long history of great payments history.
3: None of that matters. Your creditors don't care about those. That your great history. All they care about is right now. Um, you should just go talk to a bankruptcy lawyer. I mean, there's no charge, and most bankruptcy lawyers no obligation. But just listen to what they have to say. Let them look at your stuff. They'll they'll give you your options. You can do it or not do it. It's up to you.
7: Yeah, my biggest, my biggest fear is them coming and taking everything.
3: Most most of your creditors don't want that stuff back. They want you to keep paying for your cars. They want you to keep paying for your house. And and you you get to pick and choose in bankruptcy what you want to keep and what you want to let go. So it's your choice. And the creditors, they just want the money. They're set up to take money, not to take the vehicles. They'll take the vehicles if you don't pay for them, but they want the money.
7: Is there a certain bankruptcy like to where I basically bundle all my notes together so I can lower them? Because I mean, it's like $3,600 a month. I mean, I could comfortably afford three, but the, the extra seven a month is what just keeps stacking up stacking up.
4: Yeah. So that would be what's called a Chapter 13 bankruptcy. It takes all the things that you want to keep, like your cars, your house, things like that, and it all bundles it up. So you'll pay one note a month to the trustee's office. And it might actually lower your notes as well for spreading it out an extra year or two from when you from how long you financed your vehicles.
7: If I read correctly or not, I didn't know if that the Chapter Thirteen depended on your credit and your like your work, your job, or anything like that.
4: No, anybody can file a Chapter Thirteen. The means test okay. would apply to a Chapter Seven.
7: Okay, so they just make your note, whatever you could afford for how many years it takes to pay it off?
4: Well, uh, the note depends on what you want to keep.
6: I'd I'd like
7: to keep everything. (laughs) Right, I understand
4: that, but your payments are going to be all the things that you want to keep come together and spread out over those 60 months. They don't don't go off of what you can pay from your income. It's all about what you want to keep and how much that is.
7: Okay, I got you.
1: Kyle, thank you. Right. Those are some good questions, Kyle. Yeah, and, and, Frank, I imagine you and Rachel, one thing you hear a lot is, I don't want to lose my house when people file for I me. Mean, what do you tell folks when they come in and that's their big concern about losing their
3: house? Well, we tell them they're not going to lose the house as long as they pay for it. Okay. Know? Now, most of the time, you know, they, they can go back to making the regular payments. They can't catch up the back payments, and that's what the Chapter 13 helps them do.
1: Okay. Um, and, but if you file chapter seven, can you, that's which the total liquidation, can you keep your house then? Yes. You still can keep it.
3: You just okay. need to be current on the stuff you want to keep. Ah, okay. Seven.
1: Uh, and there's a lot of other questions we could ask. We're getting a little short on time. Is there, is there something about bankruptcy? A lot of your clients ask you, uh, common questions that we've not talked about today that you think would be helpful to, to, to tell our audience.
3: The biggest question we get is about credit. And, and I don't understand that, you know, because we're trying to save the family and save your house and your vehicles. And, but everybody's worried about getting their credit straightened out. And, and we have an instruction package, like I said, we give our clients because that is their biggest concern above everything else is their credit. And we want them to help get their credit straightened back out.
1: Frank, Rachel, and Professor, thank you all so much. And that's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been Michelle McAdoo. Our board engineer has been Jay White. For our guests, Frank, Rachel, Coxwell, and Professor Gershon, who host uh, from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Greg Mayer. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Thank Radio